Yeah, it really is a, an honor and a privilege um, to be taking on the youth and to, you know, the, what's gone before. I, you know, I know I'm very aware I'm building on foundations that have already been set. So it's, it's an exciting new um, season. I've got to be honest, I've been interviewed by the fire service, okay? And if anybody's ever been interviewed by the fire service, that's, that's a hard interview. And yet I came into this interview, and I mean, I was trembling by the end of it. You know, you had Sue and Steph sat there, and every time Sue would finish a question, she'd turn to Steph and say, have you got anything else? And I was thinking, please say no, please. <laughs> we, you know, I had more questions than I've ever had in an interview before. But I, when I went away after and I thought about it, I thought, that's amazing, because that means they're taking this seriously. And we, as a church, we need to take youth ministry seriously, because young people are not just the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. We have to realize that our young people are precious and amazing, and that they, they can operate in the same gifts. They have the same Holy Spirit in them when they when they accept Jesus as we do. There's no junior Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. So I'm excited for, for where we're going to go. I'm just going to start with a story. I love stories, okay? So there was, there was once a farmer, and this farmer lived in Africa, and one afternoon he went um, exploring his land, checking some things out, and he came across a dead lion. Surprised to see the dead lion, he went up and he had, a, he had a little look. You know, you've got to check his dead first before you get too close to a lion. But he got close to this lion and he looked down and there was a baby lion next to it. But as he looked at the baby lion, he could see the chest was just rising and falling. And he thought, well, the lion's dead, so I now have to look after this baby lion. So he scooped it up and he carried it home. Not being the most intelligent farmer, it was only when he got home, he suddenly thought, what am I going to do with this baby lion? So he looks around his kitchen, and there in the corner, his poodle has just given birth to a load of pups. So he thinks, I know. So he takes baby poodle across, and he slips the baby poodle in with the, uh, sorry, the baby lion in with the poodle pups. Mummy poodle takes the baby lion and raises her as one of her own. So baby lion grows up walking like a poodle. I'm not sure if that's how poodles walk, but they do in my head. He grew up yapping like a poodle. He grew up eating what poodles eat. He grew up, every time the farmer would scrunch his newspaper together, running away, knowing what was coming. He grew up that whenever next door's Rottweiler started barking, he would run back in the house. This was the life of Baby Lion. And then one day, he was on the fence, just looking over into the distance, and in the distance, he saw this massive, majestic male lion walking across the plain. And he was, it erased his curiosity, and deep called to deep, and he hopped over the fence, and what he felt was a safe distance, he followed this big lion. Soon the big lion stopped and just exposed its huge claws. Baby lion looked at his little baby claws and thought, well, every time I've ever exposed these, I've had a whack with a newspaper. But he let him out anyway, and it felt good. And then the lion, the big lion, stood up and shook its huge mane. Baby lion, who was, had his hair cut like a poodle, 
did a little shake of his hair, a bit like a L'Oreal advert. And then the big lion let out a roar, a blood-curdling roar. And baby lion thought, I can do that, and let out what was the most interesting attempt at a roar that sounded very much like a poodle's bark. But he did it anyway. And then the big lion started to run. And I mean, as he started to run, it was the most beautiful sight. And baby lion thought, I'm going to have a go at this. So he starts to run, and you hear the cricks and the cracks as every joint and ligament starts to respond how it should have responded when he was young. And then the big lion saw a big zebra. And the big lion did to the big zebra what big lions do to big zebras. And baby lion spotted a baby zebra. So baby lion did to baby zebra what baby lions do to baby zebras. And as he finished his meal, he now realized he was never going to go back to living as a poodle. He had experienced something different. By seeing the big lion, by seeing this majestic creature and learning from it, he realized who he was created to be. No longer would he tolerate the farmer trying to hit him with a newspaper. No longer would he tolerate pedigree chum when there was prime zebra or prime zebra on, uh, on offer. No longer would he tolerate next door's Rottweiler yapping at him. In fact, I think he had a little bit of a thing going on in his head that he was going to pay that dog a visit. But you see that by following the lion, he discovered who he was created to be. And I believe that this morning, what I want to preach on is us following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, and as we commit our lives to Jesus, and as we make that decision, I'm going to follow you whatever it costs, we start to become more and more like him. Okay, my scripture today is Ephesians 6, verse 13 to 18. Here we go. Therefore, I bet you've all heard the scripture. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. Stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on, the, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers to all believers. If you've ever been in, if you've been in church for a long while or you've ever been to Sunday school, you'll probably have heard of this scripture. In fact, it was one of the first ones I ever heard when I became a Christian. And I remember a very well-meaning lady in the church taking me aside as a 22-year-old new believer and saying to me, every morning when you get up, I want you to dress in the armor of God. Just read that scripture, stand in front of your mirror and dress in the armor of God. I thought, well, this is what Christians do. Fantastic. So every morning I get up, I read the scripture, I put my belt on, I put my breastplate of righteousness on, I'd have my helmet, I'd have my shoes. I'd go out into the day thinking I was unstoppable. Something had happened and I would think, why, am I, why did I even bother doing that? I thought, man, that didn't work. I thought I was protected now for the rest of the day. 
But you see, I had an academic understanding of what I needed a Holy Spirit revelation on. It's not just a knowledge of the scripture, it's a revelation of the scripture. And this morning, I'm praying that we get a Holy Spirit revelation on this passage of scripture. The passage before says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Do you know, it can be really, really hard to fight in the spiritual while we're experiencing in the physical. Do you know, a lot of the problems that we fight back in the physical are actually a spiritual battle. So we end up getting worn out and shattered and run down and even questioning God because we're fighting. Somebody does something to us. I don't know about you, but my first reaction is, right, what's that all about then? Come on, let's sort this out. We actually, why am I responding in the physical to a battle that is actually in the spiritual? What we end up doing When we fight in the physical, what we should be fighting in the spiritual is we end up worn out, burnt out, and tired Christians. We end up thinking, how has this even happened? So the first piece of scripture that I'm going to pick up is the very first word, which is therefore. Every word in scripture has meaning, and this one illuminates the passage that we're about to look at. Because we can't just lift this scripture out of context, because what we end up doing is creating false doctrines. So when it says, therefore, it's actually a response to everything that's come before in this passage. So therefore here, this scripture is talking about the fact that Ephesians hits on a wide range of moral and ethical behaviors. And it talks about ensuring believers are living up to their heavenly calling. This is giving practical advice now. Paul said, this is, the, this is the stuff, and now I'm going to show you using a picture so you can understand what I'm saying to you. So therefore, because you're sons and daughters of God, and through relationship and revelation of this, you will desire to walk a holy life, and this is how you do it. That's what Paul's saying here. Because I don't know about you, but we've got to realize that salvation isn't that one moment in our life when we say, Jesus, come into my life. Yes, you are saved at that point. A real heartfelt position. But then there's that point when you die. Okay, sorry to be morbid this morning. But everybody at some point, unless Jesus comes back, is going to die. At that point, you are saved. You're, you're off to heaven. So you, you're saved here. You're saved here. But there's however many minutes, hours, days, or years in between that we are being saved. That we are working out our salvation. The Bible calls it sanctification. It says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when I first got saved, I thought that meant that every time I made a mistake, God was going to zap me with a lightning bolt. And I make a lot of mistakes. So it was quite a scary thought. But as I've got a bit older, I've realized that what that scripture is saying is that to work out our salvation with fear and trembling is to live our lives holding the Bible first, holding Jesus first, and looking towards the cross, seeing what he's done, and allowing that to impact 
how this season of our life, from the moment we're saved till the moment we will be saved, how it impacts and just changes us and changes our life. It is here we receive and apply the word of God. And this is how we truly fight in the spiritual. So the next piece of scripture says to put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Well, I love the fact there that it says it's God's armor. It's not my armor. It's not my armor. Everything we need to live the life that he has called us to, he provides. He must be our only source of provision. The armor is God's. We go to God. It is about relationship with Jesus. It says that there will be a time of evil. There's going to be attacks. We've all experienced them. If you've been a Christian longer than 30 seconds, you will know that there is an attack against you. Health, finances, spiritual, mental, physical, temptations. These are all attacks that come against us. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You know, I used to think, a lot of, lot of talk about lions this morning, but I used to think that a lion would see a zebra and roar at it to scare it and then go get it. But what a silly thing to do, because if that lion roared, that zebra's going to be clever and run away. Lions actually roar to scare other predators off their territory. The enemy, it says, is like a roaring lion. He roars over areas of our life to try to stop us from dealing with them. There may be an area of our life that we know we really don't want to deal with. You know those things that we keep in the cupboard that we try to hide from God? The things we think, the things we do that we think, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just going to keep that cupboard closed with my foot because I don't want to deal with that. And then one day you think, you know what, I really need to deal with that. So you go close to it and that's when the enemy roars. And he roars over you, says, oh, I'm not touching that. I'll leave that where it is, it's too painful. But you see, the enemy is only like a lion. He isn't a lion. There is only one lion in our lives, the lion of Judah. And his roar is far louder over our lives and far louder at the enemy than we could possibly hope or imagine. So we need to pull closer to him, to learn from him, and to be willing to address those areas. You know, I had an abscess in my two, four weeks this week, and I have, oh, I can't, I can't tell you. If you've had an abscess under your turf, you know how painful it is. And then I went to the dentist, and he said, look, you've got two options. You can keep taking the, the tablets, and hopefully it'll clear it up, or I can dig it out and cut it open, expose everything, get, get all the blood and pass out, and we can deal with it from there. And I was so tempted to just say, I'll take the tablets. But I realized if I wanted that to get better... I had to expose the issue. And in our lives, we have to expose issues to Jesus if we want them to get better. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. I love this. The word stand is in and around this passage of scripture four times. If Jesus tells us something once in the Bible, it's important. If he tells us something twice, he's trying to get something across. If it's there four times, come on, we need to wake up and realize he's really, really trying to tell us something. There will be a battle. 
But when we rest in Christ, when we rest in the truth that is revealed in the armor of God, we will be standing at the end. The word declares it. Before we even take on the battle, it says you will be standing firm. So the first piece, first piece of uh, armor then, putting on the belt of truth. Now the belt probably sounds the most insignificant because there's some pretty cool pieces of equipment here. We're talking about swords and shields, the stuff of every child's dreams. But actually, this is the most important. There's this, real, there's this saying going around today, and I'm sure everybody's heard of it, my truth. You hear people saying it on telly. Well, my truth is, please, stop bumping your gums. There is no my truth. There is only one truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one truth. It is the truth that sets us free. We can't live in a world where there is more than one truth. He is the truth. Jesus is the belt. He is the truth. It is him that we wrap around us. Do you know what? I came to realize quite early on in my Christian walk, I'd read some things in this and I'd think, whoa, that's harsh. I don't know about that, Lord. But I learned very quickly that we've got to get comfortable with, with being uncomfortable when we read the word. Because it's the word that has to change me, not me that changes the word. When I read the word of God, I've got to allow it to change me. I can't change anything in it. So when I talk today about knowing the truth and the belt, I'm talking about Jesus. When I talk about surrendering to the truth, I'm talking about surrendering to Jesus. When I talk about obeying the truth, I'm talking about obeying Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the belt. If we don't wear our belt and we try to run into battle, we may well have our trousers drop around our ankles and have some rather embarrassing moments. The belt holds the trousers up. It also, there used to be leather straps that would come down that would protect the fight, the, the, the soldier's private parts. And that's an area you want protected when you go into battle. And the point is, there are areas of our life that the enemy would expose if God says, no, I'm protecting you. I'm going to fight this battle for you. And we've got to realize that only when we get close to him and acknowledge him as the truth, then we can start to rest in him. The sword, uh, sorry, the belt holds the sword in place. The sword we're going to find out is the word of God. But the truth holds the word in place. We can take this and we can quote it at people and we can quote it out of context and we can look like we're Bible bashing people. But when we realize that the belt, Jesus, holds the word in place, we realize that when we speak the words of this, we've got to be speaking them through the filter of Jesus, through the filter of the new covenant, through the filter of his love and his grace towards people. Because it is only the truth that sets people free. Next, the body armor of God's righteousness. So the body armor protects the vital organs, specifically the heart. God is a jealous God. He wants our hearts. 
He wants us to be in relationship with him primarily, first and foremost. He wants us to love him before we love anybody else or anything else. He wants to be number one priority. You know, love came down. Love comes down, it does something in us, and then we outwork that in our loving of other people. We can't love other people properly until we've received the love of God, because we love out of what he has given us. This breastplate that is held in place by the belt, okay, so the breastplate of righteousness, our right standing in God, is held in place by the belt of truth, which is Jesus. So our righteousness only comes through Jesus. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, when we try to do things our own way, our righteousness is as dirty rags. Good job the children are gone, because what the dirty rags they're actually talking about here was the, the rags used in a woman's menstrual cycle. And what, when a lady was going through that time, she was seen as she couldn't go into the temple. So what he was saying here is, when you try to do it in your own strength, it's absolutely nothing. You've got to rest in Jesus. We've got to know more about him. We've got to accept the truth that he brings. And then we realize that our right standing in him is held in place by the belt, is held in place by Jesus. He has said, I have separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. They will never again meet. How incredible is that? Imagine when you got saved, if there'd been a big list up here of all the things you'd done wrong. Man, that'd be embarrassing. Jesus says, I separate them. As far as that is, do you know the East and the West never meet? Never again to be held accountable. He wants us to know that our righteousness is held in place by Christ. It is what Christ did that makes us righteous. He wants us to guard our hearts with the revelation that we are in right standing with God because of Christ. Without the body armor and the knowledge of our position, it would become impossible to stand. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. This piece of scripture is where we need to grasp why the word stand is there four times. Because the shoes we're talking about are not like the shoes today. You know, I'm slipping everywhere up here. There's no grips on the bottom of these. But if you look at a pair of football boots, they are designed with studs on so that when players are running fast or they need to hold or they need to twist, they can do it immediately. And that's what the shoes that the Roman soldiers were more like. They had cleats on the bottom so that when a Roman soldier was in battle, if he was fighting forward or he was defending off, he could dig his feet down deep and he could hold his position. And that's what the scripture is saying, that we need to dig down deep and hold our position and stand in the good news. The good news. The news that we are saved and born again when we put our trust in Jesus the fact that our sins are from the east is from the west, the fact that Jesus is always there, wrapped around us, that he holds our righteousness in position. That way we don't get swept around by any other doctrine. It starts and ends with the good news. So the belt of the truth is Jesus, holds in place our breastplate, which allows us to stand. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So the Roman shields had three primary uses. These Roman shields, I'm sure you've all seen them, look a bit like doors. 
big, massive wooden doors with red leather on the outside and a brass butt in the middle. These shields were used for butting forward. When they were in um, attack, they could push forward and take ground. Our faith must be in Christ, must be in the word, must be in our right standing in him. Then we can take ground. We have to have our faith in him and him alone if we're going to take ground. If we're going to take ground as youth, because that's all I, that's, that's my passion, that's what I'm buzzing about, you know. If we're going to take ground, our faith must be in Christ. Our young people can't be thinking, yay, we're going to go in and we're going to smash it and we're going to do it all because we're awesome. No, we're going to do it and we're going to smash it and we're going to take ground because he is awesome. It is where our faith is. Another thing it did was it protected against the fiery arrows. Why did they set the arrows on fire? Because if an arrow hits you, it hurts. I've never been hit by an arrow, but I'm presuming it hurts, okay? But if it's a fiery arrow and it hits you, it sets a light your whole body. And the fiery arrows of the enemies for us can be things like bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, jealousy, addiction. You put your own fiery arrow there. And when that fiery arrow hits you, it doesn't just affect this area. It spreads like a wildfire. We know that if unforgiveness hits us, it gets in us. It consumes our thinking. It means that we act out of it. That's why it is so vital that we hold up our shield of faith. And when something hits, when something, when that fiery arrow hits that shield, our faith is in Christ. It's not in our ability to deal with that situation. I remember when the, the kids were small, and I took them down the green um, for a snowball fight in the middle of January. And like any good dad, I wanted to win. And Zach, who's my, my youngest, he's, he's the hot-headed one. He comes running at me, and I've got a snowball. I'm like, this is just too good to be true. Bang! Down he went. Brilliant. Then I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, where's Matthew? And he's got his sledge, and he dug it down into the ground because he'd been learning about the Romans in school. And he got down behind this sledge, and every now and again, you just see him go, and ping went out at me. I couldn't get him. Why? Because he'd gone behind his shield. When the attacks come against us, we must get behind our shield. We must get behind Christ. We must get behind our faith, our understanding of who we are in him. The final use is the tortoise. You've probably all seen this. When they would bring the shields together and stand next to each other. And then some would stand with their shields above, some would stand at the side, and some would stand at the back. They were basically making an impenetrable um, attack mechanism. They could just march wherever they wanted like that because no arrow was going to get in. Do you know that's a symbol of the church? When we come together and we take our shields and we stand next to each other and we declare, I'm not going to not go to church. I'm going to go and I'm going to stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to get my shield up and we are going to take ground. We do that by working together. You know, this morning, knowing, even knowing I was preaching and I get excited, I was, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. But God says, come on, get your shield, turn up. That shield is your faith in me. Put on salvation as your helmet. The enemy's attacks are on the head. 
A lot of the attacks are on the head. If he can get you to think a certain way, he can get you to act a certain way. If you've got no helmet, you're open to attack. If you think a certain way continually, your neural pathways develop that you will continually think that way. And you've really got to catch yourself. The way we protect our minds is by knowing, it says there, our salvation. Knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing that his favor is for us. Knowing that he is for us, not against us. Knowing that he loves us and that we are the apple of his eye. The enemy wants you to believe the opposite. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse our wickedness. Romans 8 verse 1, There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10 verse 17, Their sins and their wickedness I will remember no more. That is a flurry of punches even better than Tyson Fury could throw. You know, that changes things. Knowledge of that is a protection of our minds when the enemy comes. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword is the Word. The Word is the truth of God. You know, I've heard people say that, you know, we need to, we need to update the Word. You know, we, need, we live in a different culture to the one that was then. I tell you now, you read the things that went on then, and you look at what's going on in the world now, it's exactly the same. The Bible was written as much for today as it was for 2,000 years ago. We cannot, we must not ever, ever compromise the truths that are in the word of God because we will blunt and make unusable the very weapon that we have been given to fight for victory. There is no updates. There is no version 2.0. There is no prophet that is going to come that contradicts the word of God. The Bible was written to last until Christ's return because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The sword was given for close contact fighting. It could defend against blows and could respond with force. Look at Jesus in the garden every time the, the enemy tempted him. Hebrews 4 verse 12 said, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, so the word of God, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We've got to make sure that our beliefs line up with this. Why? Because that's the instruction manual for us to have the best possible life on here, to get from this point of, yes, Jesus, to this point of, hi, Jesus. Everything in between is worked out through our knowledge of him and his word. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray in the Spirit. I used to think this meant pray in tongues. But when you read into it, and don't get me wrong, tongues is an incredible part of a believer's life. But it actually is talking about praying in will, in accordance with the will of God. What is the will of God? How can we possibly know the will of God? How can I know the will of God? It's right there. By knowing this, by knowing him, and by knowing that my relationship with the Holy Spirit brings revelation of the scripture. We used to sing a song, and the words in it were, break my heart for what breaks yours. Do you know what? One day I caught myself singing that and thought, that's huge. Break my heart for what breaks yours. 
Because as, as believers, we can look at the culture of the world and what's going on, and we can get caught up in fighting battles that don't actually break God's heart. He's saying, come back to my word, come back to me, come back to time with me, come back to spending time with my Holy Spirit, and I will show you what my heart is for this circumstance. We pray your kingdom come in the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we know what we're praying there? Your rule and your reign. I totally submit to everything you want, and I want to see it outworked on earth. That's what we're praying. There is now no more room for my, well, I don't really agree with that. No room. I'm submitting to you. The whole message this morning has been about one person. Every single piece of this armor, God's armor, that we clothe ourselves in, is about one person, Jesus. If nothing else this morning, I hope I've encouraged you that you want to get to know this guy a little bit better. You could have been a Christian for 20 years, but you think, actually, there's some stuff there. I, 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 I need this armor. I need to stand in him. I need to discover him in greater measure. We can spend our whole lives discovering him. To finish, Romans 13 verse 14 says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The battle is always flesh versus spirit. We are spirit beings learning to overcome the flesh, learning to resist the attacks. But we can only do this as we lean further and further into the Father. We can only do this as we become more like Mary, desperate to sit at the feet of God. No matter what it costs, I'm going to sit at your feet. If I've got to get up a little bit earlier, if I've got to make time in my lunch hour, if I've got to make time in my evening... I've got to stay up half an hour extra, Lord. I want to get closer to you. I want to invest in that time. I want to discover what your armor means to me because I want to be able to stand when everything else comes against me. I want to stand. We get that through our relationship with Jesus. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a good, good father. I thank you that you are for us, not against us. I thank you that your grace surrounds us. I thank you that your love surrounds us. I thank you that you go before us. Father God, I pray that if nothing else this morning, we would walk out of here with a developed passion for you, with a renewed desire to get to know more about you, with a desire to learn how you see us, so that we can live in this world as an ambassador of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.